Greetings, Real Story listeners. We've created a survey so that you can share your feedback about the podcast. Your insights will have a direct impact on what we do in the future. To take the survey, go to www.greenpath.com slash real stories and scroll down to the orange Take the Survey button or visit the show notes for the link. Welcome to episode 9 of Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Gazima. GreenPath works with a variety of different partners, including employers, credit unions, and other financial institutions. Some of our partners serve millions of people around the country. Others do transformative work in their local communities. A great example of this is Community Development Corporation of Long Island, where I met today's guest, Andre. He runs their financial fitness series and provides financial coaching. I've had the pleasure of speaking to many of his groups, and one thing that I've noticed is how he infuses his own story into his teachings. So I thought it'd be interesting to dive deeper into Andre's story. As you'll see, Andre has had a unique journey. He's certainly paying it forward, but he's still learning from others, including his young son. Let's hear from Andre. Well, first, thank you, Chris, for, for inviting me onto your podcast, and uh, thank you for all your contributions to uh, my career development and all your contributions to our, my program um, as well and our work together. So thank you for that. I've, I've had a few experiences um, financially that are not, not really conventional um, and learned a ton of lessons throughout my life. Do you remember, like, let's say even like growing up in, in high school, for example, because I, I, I think you said that you started to travel and, and do study abroad in, in your college years, right? Um, do, do you recall a little bit about like, I mean, and not to say like not everyone in, in high school even thinks very actively about money necessarily, but do you remember if you had any, any thoughts or approach to or just beliefs about money at the time? Long-term savings, no true concept, you know, um, really instant gratification, you know, was really the relationship with money as you're younger, or at least that's, that's what I found with my circle and myself, you know, um, whatever money we did actually um, be able to bring in or obtain was actually put right into play. Was was money talked uh, a lot about in your in your family growing up at all? Or obviously, as a, as a youth, you you do um, conscious consciously observe your your parents uh, how they are making things meet or putting things together or providing for you and your family. Or um, sometimes you could appear like even it could be a uh, you're in a struggle time and your birthday comes up and all of a sudden you have this wonderful gift that you never thought would even be an option. So those kind of things, those miracles I witnessed happen, you know, through my own life for sure. I, I know uh, during your college career, you, you had this experience of studying and living abroad. Uh, and so before we get into the financial impact that that might've had on your life and your outlook uh, on things, can you just share a little bit about, kind of what motivated you to go there and just what the experience itself was all about. And then we'll get into the money aspect. Um, I guess really um, after completing my associate's degree here in Long Island, I got a little bit just tied down and not really interested in going back into college, but still wanted to pursue my career. Um, I was actually working, um, as a, as a foreman. So I had a, uh, a full-time job, but it was a seasonal full-time job. So I had plenty of time off during the winter months. Um, so one winter I just sat down when I was off after being out of school for two years and started doing some research on international programs. And I found a program that I can actually study abroad, um, immerse myself in different cultures and, um, pursue my, my college career and have a global experience at the same time. So when I decided to enroll in this school, um, I participated in a, a, a global studies program um, where I spent 
consistently, I guess, uh, where I spent two semesters in Costa Rica, um, returned back to work during the summertime and returned back there um, during my next semester and followed up with a action project in Ethiopia. So I had a chance to really have a global experience, pursue my education um, and learned uh, invaluable life lessons throughout my time there. Um, but financially, it did have a connection um, just because um, I had the ability to have a job where I was able to be self-sufficient, earn a strong um, salary, um, and be able to live comfortably out of the country, obviously because of the uh, money exchange difference um, and not having the same requirements of, I guess, housing because a lot of my housing was part of my tuition. Um, so I was able to really enjoy life, live and experience and come home and work during my summer months. So that changed my kind of finances because I learned how to save, save, save. Um, and because I knew I would need it for, because I wouldn't be working for another six to eight months at a time. When I was in the country, when not working during my winter months, I was able to collect unemployment temporarily for those four four months wasn't an option when I was a student traveling so I knew that was going to be a major change right there and also um, I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm out of the country and be limited um, financially resource wise if there was trips or there was opportunities I wanted to be able to take all of them in because this I knew this was my time to really experience life um, and also I had my two years of experiencing and having fun and doing all those things with not taking on a lot, a lot of responsibilities. So when it came time to do that, it was really just a priority. And uh, fortunately, they, um, I was able to actually increase my income and made some different aggressive moves at the same time, um, taking on more work at, at my job and was able to uh, really put some funds away. Just out of curiosity, did you happen to um, observe any of your, your classmates, anyone else in the program as far as, did, were some of them in the same boat as yours? Were others, did others have a different outlook if they were getting money from family and things like that? Or Yeah, most, most of my, um, my other classmates in the exchange program really came from well-to-do families because this was a uh, pretty exclusive um, exchange program that I got involved in. I was fortunate to have some scholarships and everything that was still available to me from my previous work, um, which really allowed me to fit in to this program. But no, I really didn't see that from my peers. <laughs> so how did it make you feel to know like you, you were you were doing this all yourself, you know? But also, my, my, so also these peers were also 18, 19. And I was 24. Gotcha. So at that time, I was at a different place. So it was kind of what I expected. You stayed living abroad after the program was, was over? Or can you tell me about that time? Yeah, I just got connected to the country. Um, uh, had, had a child in the country and really um, immersed myself within the, the culture. Um, have a ton of like family out there that... Um, have adopted me in a way. Um, so for the next three years, I would really just um, come back, work for my summer and fall and return and continued my aggressive savings to live my winter times out there and come back and um, bring the family back and um, do it again. So I did that for three years following, following that. And that was a, 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 great, a great experience. However, it really left me detached from everything that's going on um, in this country. So it, it actually had an opportunity to filter my life. You know, friends, friends go this way when you're not around. Um, so actually, that's a positive thing. You really are able to filter out and you see who are the, the ones who are the lifelong friends when you're not around for years at a time and the ones that you really stay in touch with when you become a father um it just turns on a whole different drive and a whole different i guess that 
that natural instinct to provide. So those priorities really supersede um, many others at, at, at that point. And I felt that kind of process take on naturally when, when fatherhood came on and as you, as you develop and you only need to, I guess you, you kind of observe that you kind of are the foundation and need to provide. So you proudly do it. And that really takes priorities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, in terms of your your, your time uh, traveling, you, you said you had spent time in Costa Rica, Ethiopia. Um, I understand you would a lot of your time spent in those and other countries were spent with indigenous communities. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I I really went to um, my first three semesters in Costa Rica. I really went to study and immerse myself within indigenous communities. Um, to study how they um, lived within nature. Uh, many of these communities actually live within um, protected areas and national parks. So really studying the balance between how an autonomous indigenous community can live in balance with uh, a governmental system who was actually conserving a park and how their certain um, aspects of their culture changed and adapted positively and negatively because of that. Um, but I've seen great, had, had wonderful experiences and traveling through Costa Rica, Panama and Nicaragua through my time there. I live with indigenous communities, um, just to speak of their name is just called the, uh, the Nobe Bugle of uh, sand blast in, in, in Panama. And they had a pristine turtle nesting site and traditionally, they hunted turtles um, for their sustenance and turtle eggs. Um, but they took, once they learned the need to preserve through their work with the government and having this protected land that was there, that they had autonomous rights to, they had full rights to use the turtles. But after education, and they learned that they can turn um, actually an economic system and create ecotourism and create turtle nesting, counting and things like that and bring in tourists and protect the turtles. They changed their culture, they, turned their, they changed their way of life, brought in a whole new economic stream to them. Um, so I've, I've witnessed um, these kind of stories. You, you had mentioned obviously there was changes going on in your own life in terms of becoming a father and obviously the impact that that had, but it also strikes me as you know, observing all these different cultures and having such a different system set up in America and you were bouncing back, you know, you were traveling back and forth, right? Um, what was that like? Just, you know, did you start to see the American financial system and, and how Americans deal with money in a, in a new light? And if so, like, how did you reconcile that if you reconciled it? Um, wow, that's interesting. How do I reconcile it? Um, well, my record style was kind of to withdraw a little bit, you know, it's kind of why I just worked, saved and, and left the country for, for kind of a, a six year time period as much as I could. Um, so that was my kind of answer to it. And then um, I realized, you know, as I'm getting older and the inconsistency in the not having a foundation and back and forth really isn't that sustainable, you know, although there was a reason. And um, so that's when things changed, you know, and I decided to, all right, let me come back, focus and build a career. There were some inconsistencies with my, my job, which I felt where if things were a little sketchy, um, so I said, you know what, let me make sure before I'm ever in a crisis that I focus on doing things because I don't know if I can depend on this that much longer. I, I, had, I had my degree, but I was still, you know, just doing the same thing that I did since I was 18, you know? Meanwhile, I had all these other experiences, um, but I wasn't utilizing them. I had a ton of things to offer, you know, that I wasn't utilizing, even though I did excel at what I was doing. I did that the best I could, sure. Um, I was looking to... Uh, really branch out. Mm. And so eventually you ended up at your, was your first job that you ended up in a, in a more of a, a long-term basis uh, at your current job or? Yes, it was. Yes, it, yes, it was. And um, 
during one of these winter months, just filling out, you know, application after application. Um, one day I got a call back from um, my, my, my current employer. And this was back in probably February of 2010. Um, and uh, we, she asked me, did, did you apply for this? Um, this I see your application, you applied for this job. And I had no idea I applied for that job because I applied for maybe 50 jobs a day for probably two weeks. So real fast, I pull up my, my computer, I pull up the, the, the agency, I look up what the job was and I, and I just, you know, I'm faking it in, in between time till I get that information. And then uh, I said, yes, great. And, and, but really the job entitled um, being an educator and being a counselor in home ownership, um, foreclosure and mitigation, um, but the primary responsibility would be conducting financial literacy classes and financial counseling, um, which obviously from everything I told you, I had no experience in any, <laughs> in any of that. And I was, I was honest during my interview, um, as far as I had no experience in financial education, financial counseling. However, I expressed that I am effective learner and an effective teacher. Um, and I really have tons of experience immersing myself in a topic and being able to bring it to life as I had a, this is kind of what my life experience has been in, in my work internationally is um, not only do I visit um, my give back, uh, I, I can talk about what, what I do when I give back when I encounter these cultures as well. So I kind of explain that anything I can learn, I can effectively teach. And I would love the opportunity to learn and, and grow actually and I see the I see the importance. I I don't know. I really see the importance of a of a course like this, and would love to have the opportunity to learn it. Um, didn't hear back, and three days later, I got the call back. Said, "Hey, come on in. Sounds great. We want you to meet our CEO." And it started from there. So really, she took a chance on me. Um, had no experience in the financial field and the counseling field, um, but through my time there, um, being able to be exposed to the amount of um, high-level training that, that that's provided from um, from HUD through NeighborWorks through the various webinars through the network that, that we have established through our work together um, I've been able to really grow learn um, and expand my whole entire awareness of the financial field tell me about some of the favorite aspects of, of your job that you get to experience um, I love the dynamics in, in group education. Um, although um, I like being kind of immersed in these situations where sometimes they can be difficult, sometimes they can be easy flow, but you, you really feel more alive. And when I, I, I feel when I'm in, in, in front of the classroom and we have a active captive audience who really participates, and this topic of financial um, literacy, whether it be personal banking, whether it be setting a savings goal, whether it be assessing your um, monthly spending habits, whether it be credit or debt issues, everybody has such personal and emotional experiences connected to this. Uh, <clears throat> the conversations that flow, the learning opportunities that, that are able, that I'm that I'm fortunate sometimes to be able to be the first one to share. And sometimes this information is really not high level or it can be just general, or it's just a, a little reminder of something they, that individuals do every day that is positive. Um, and to see that kind of inspiration in folks or in empowering people to really take control or better, the, better their finances, I've, I've really, I really enjoy that kind of personal interaction and seeing personal growth and empowerment of individuals. Hmm. So that's kind of what I enjoy the most out of my out of my time there. Watch are there it. any are oh. there any stories that that kind of stick <laughs> out? Ah, uh... oh, this is an interesting one. Sure, sure, sure. This is a this is a good one, um, and it actually keys into um, how we partner um, CDC Long Island and and Green Path Financial Wellness. So. I'll tell you this, when I was working with a young gentleman, Spanish-speaking family, who wanted to become a homeowner, he had some 
credit issues. So he was, um, he elected to participate in my financial education class and work with me for some time. So we worked on, he completed the education course. We worked together for around a year. He was really focused. He resolved everything. We communicated with each other on a monthly basis. He would always let me know, Andre, I said I would bring my balance down to here. I did it on this day. I said I would begin to save $400 a month for my home ownership. I started doing it. So we had a great communication and he was really on the ball. So he graduated my program. I referred him to our first time home buyer class where he was totally ready. He moved forward. He was fortunate to actually access a first time home buyer grant um, for I think it was up to $14,000 at the time. He was actually working with a, a lender that had some lender incentives. Um, so he got another like 7,000 from them and he had a nice down payment himself. So he was able to really get into an affordable um, home uh, for his first home and was just so happy. So I remember seeing him um, come back for his closing, him and his family, and they were just the happiest family, right? However, then, then nine months later, I got the call. Hey, Andre, how's, how's it going? It's me, do you remember me? I'm like, yeah. How you been? How's the family? How's the house? How's everything going? He's like, I got to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm late on my first mortgage payment. And that was like, whoa, nine months in. And so I'm like, please tell me, um, tell me what's happening. I, the first thing is, where are you at with your mortgage? Is it one month late? Is it two months late? Because that's really was, was what I was concerned about at the time. And then we'll talk about what happened and and work on other things later. Um, so he let me know that he was one month late, um, only one month late, and couldn't pay this next month, and it was because of credit cards and other bills. So he came in, he had his mortgage appointment, and kind of like he indicated, it was not his mortgage that was the problem. His income wasn't impacted, it was really his spending and his credit card debt. So he, was, he decided to furnish his whole patio, build a pool, Raymore and Flanagan's, PC Richards, all, all were just up. And then he had like 21000 of credit card debt uh, with the monthly payment around 1600 a month. And he was actually paying the 1600 and didn't pay the mortgage. So um, during our counseling appointment, we really had to talk without beating him up too much, you know, had to talk where it was, there's nothing that bank can do. They're not there's no real options because your bank is, your loan is only one year. It's affordable based on your income. They're really, if they, once they assess your credit report, the problem is going to reveal itself. It's not the mortgage, that it's the, the amount of debt. Um, so one of the solutions was referring him to seek debt management counseling. So we, we, we referred him out to our debt management network. Um, he chose, he chose Green Path. Um, and I told him, you know what, call right now. <laughs> I was like, call it right now in our, in our appointment. So he called right then and there. He said an appointment. Um, I, don't, I don't speak Spanish, um, but he, he, was, he, he spoke um, Spanish and he spoke good enough that we had a, a, good, a good relationship, but he actually elected to have a, a Spanish counselor at Green Path review all his documents. So um, he had everything ready because he had all his financials ready for us. So he just sent it right over there. And within three days, he got back to me with the results of his debt management plan that was worked up. Um, and they reduced his payments from 1660 to around 820 a month. And that was his answer. And we, I believe we worked, our agencies worked um, quite some time together with him. And it was just a great partnership. And um, that was the answer at the time for, for, for this gentleman, I believe. And I share that story often only because it really um, just goes into the emotional attachment when it comes down to purchasing a home. There's a ton of pressure, there's a ton of emotions that are involved in it. That whole building your nest kind of scenario as well, once you get the home, sometimes you so want to move forward so it's one thing it's one lesson that i've learned that i kind of share within my financial literacy classes just to um 
reiterate, even though we have sound financial skills now, and these are all important to us now, maintaining good credit and keeping our debt down, it's more important when you're a homeowner. It's more important when you have this asset because now you have something to lose, now you have something to jeopardize. And it's not only about um, home ownership. You really have to have sustainable and affordable home ownership and be able to meet all the other goals that you 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 want to reach. So that so maintaining a healthy debt load and the, all these skills we learn now is more important to even enhance um, down the road. One of the other aspects that, that you touched on, of course, is having good advice on paper and then but can you lead it in real life? Sometimes easier said than done. So my next question is what parts of your teaching do you find that you're able to follow well? Or what parts are more difficult for you to follow your own advice in a sense? Ah, all right. So I guess when I first started really immersing myself in this was the importance of really tracking your expenses. You kind of just, it's not okay just to have the vague general idea. Oh, I just, it's just too casual and it's too, um, too frequent of an occurrence to really maintain any true awareness. So tracking expenses are, is really something that I spent a lot of inner work to do and really apply what, what, what I've learned to my own life. Um, and then setting up whatever tools and mechanisms to make it easier so it's not that onerous so I can get um, that information watch my trends, learn my trends, adjust my habits. So that really was, I guess, some of the, the, the greatest lessons that I was able to apply for myself. Um, living how I lived um, in my younger days, credit was never something I was interested in. All right, because I knew paying monthly bills and I'm in the jungle wasn't, it's not something I, <laughs> was that something I was going to do? So I just saved. I had no credit use. So that always was um, not an issue for me, just not being dependent on credit and still not dependent on credit. So that's one, I guess, early habit that maybe was forced into me or that I never really developed was to be credit dependent. And I can say I'm proud of that for sure. Um, that's something that I really promote in, in my program is just taking action, advocating for yourself and not allowing procrastination to compound or make things worse or tuck things away without dealing with it. So when I feel myself doing that, that's when really I, uh, I kick one of my teachings into myself. So, so how, has, how have you um, protected yourself against financial emergencies? Uh, building savings, um, really. That's, that's my my most important thing um again not being credit dependent i have space on on credit if i needed it you know because i don't use it really i just use it very sparingly and and pay it off and just keep my balances available so i do have that for an emergency purposes plus my savings if whatever emergency takes place that's grander than my savings can accommodate you know um Pretty much. So I guess my the greatest thing is not having credit card debt allows me to save. And I think that's really where I'm ahead of the game. What are some of your favorite cost cutting tips? My favorite? Cutting the cord. So I looked in in January on how to do it and I kind of just fussed around with it. I didn't really cut the cord. I set it up. I learned how to do my streaming, but I was still paying the cable. And then um, I had a change in my, I had a, a small change in September um, of this year. And that told me to, you know what, this is the time to cut the cord because um, I have some new priority, some new financial priorities I really need to prioritize. And if I can shave this bill down $100 a month, I should not be procrastinating on this. And I should have mm. did this back in January when I first learned this. So I just changed my cable bill. My, my monthly expense is only $62 from 164. So you alluded this to, uh, alluded to this a, a second ago. Could you share about a time in your life when you faced a financial obstacle or something unexpected that, that showed up? Uh, okay. So this, I kind of, it kind of ducktails into the same story. Um, there um, in September, um, I had a 
we had a, a family life change. Actually, my son was um, kicked out of school um, in September um, because uh, the New York State changed their law. Um, and he actually was, he faced, uh, he, was, he was actually a victim of religious persecution and was removed from school based on his religious and medical freedom. And so we as a family decided that we were going to have to homeschool our, our child and took on that responsibility. So in September, it really changed my financial life and lifestyle, but it's been really all for the better. Um, but the family had to come together to make some financial changes because now we had to pay for his schooling, pick up a ton of art supplies, purchase a new computer, um, provide tutors. And um, so that, that changed our financial life. Um, and lifestyle in, in September. But through the growth in this, this, this year's experience and especially through this whole pandemic, it was actually a very positive experience for, for all of us. So we turned something that was kind of um, a negative into a, a positive, actually. Mm. Having that growth mindset. I mean, like I wonder as, as those expenses came into, into being, and I think you would, we had talked earlier, there was like a co-op that was, that was formed to, to support his, his education, right? So there's obviously sure. costs associated with that. Um, had you ever considered sort of like, it seemed like your, your, your finances had the resiliency, obviously it was still a shock to the system, but at the same time it had the resiliency to kind of take on that shock, financially speaking. Um, had you thought through like what might or how might the situation have played out if it didn't have that flexibility? Well, first, um, family support, you know, um, not, not doing it alone is key, you know, just for, um, just to purchase his computer. Um, that was, uh, a combination effort. So when, when people can work together, that really makes everything easier. So it was something that we're, his grandmother, myself, and his mother chipped in um, equally to purchase a, a really, a really great computer. So he would have um, total capability and, and access to everything. So just being fortunate to have that kind of collaboration was tremendous, you know, and it, and it really led to the, um, I guess the the other, that healthy kind of financial discussion you know, between parents and parents that aren't even um, necessarily together, but really are working together for the best of, of their child. So having an open financial discussion and, and, and coming um, coming to compromise and working that out in a, in a fair way was fortunate, you know, um, but it was totally a positive thing. And um, I'm happy for that, you know. Mm. What what are what are some of your your long term financial goals? I definitely um, want to begin to start a small agro business, organic, um, high quality lettuce, sprouts, berries, squash, things like that um, that I can produce and keep going. Like lettuce, you can really, if you have a, a nice system, you can really pump out lettuce and keep it really sustainable and production all year and keep going. So I'm really just researching, discovering all my options, but that's something I'm always interested in for a long-term financial goal of mine is to be able to establish some savings and capital, begin to open a small um, agribusiness as I'm researching grants and other opportunities. Um, so that's one. Mm -hmm. um, my retirement goals are obviously um, an important one. So um, that's when I was able to, I always prioritized. Fortunately, my, my company was able to provide a match um, in my retirement goals. So I really take advantage of, of all those type of opportunities um, besides my own pension I contribute to. So those are key. <laughs> I, I know you had also, um, when we were talking earlier, you had shared that um, your mother and yourself had started a, a nonprofit uh, internationally. Can, can you talk, uh, share more about that? Sure, sure. Um, so um, when I was doing my senior thesis, I had opportunity to conduct my senior thesis anywhere in the world I wanted to. Um, and 
simultaneously, my mother had decided to retire from being a school principal and applied for a teachers in Africa job. And she was, so she left in, I guess, September that, that year, right after I left to, to Costa Rica to go to Ethiopia to be a teacher. Met up with my mother in Ethiopia. We lived together. She conducted her work. I conducted my, my, my community research project. I was given the entire community to, to have, to, have to, to work with. Um, so that was great. Um, we built hand dug wells. We built community gardens. We taught everybody how to grow their own agriculture on their own plot. As we were leaving, she asked, what can we do? And he said, you know, we would love a library. We don't have a library or show us our library. It's really like just one bookshelf with a few books. That was their library. So my mother committed to say, hey, you know what, we'll try to help you. And when we came back to the States, we actually formed a nonprofit organization um, called H2 Empowered Incorporated, which really promotes education and sustainability in Ethiopia. And now we expanded it into Burundi as well. But we collected books and we fundraised for around a four year time period um, and sent a shipping container of books to Ethiopia that provided books to um, over 40 schools, medical schools, schools for the blind. We had books in Braille. We, we collected books from every corner of the United States and every corner of Long Island um, and had a huge shipping container, 40 foot um, of books and sent the whole thing over there. And at the same time, we worked on a construction project to build a library. Um, we didn't lead the project. It was, it was actually a joint community effort between our organization and the school. The parents would contribute money. The school would contribute money. The, the, um, the Rural um, Development Association would contribute money. So we actually got involved with the government association, the school, the parents, and our funds. And we created a community library um, in a elementary school that with the agreement that the whole community can actually use it as well not just for the children um and that was a, a great model because it's never been done before from there we worked on just addressing other needs um some of the other major needs were really um infrastructure development because many of their classroom buildings were made out of um wood and mud or straw and dung so they don't last that long because of the termites um, many of these schools had no water, um, and so we actually raised some funds to extend the pipes from the town to some of these rural schools, and we actually provided water resource to now schools where they had fountains, places to wash, and we're working on um, some toilet projects or bathroom projects and um, things like that. So It, it really strikes not me like a, a lot of this model that you're describing, it feels like it's like an empowerment model versus just sort of a a straight, a straight charity of, I mean, obviously oh, you are yeah, donating yeah. time and services and, and money to them, but it's also lifting up the, the people that you're serving. And, it, and in many ways, it actually reminds me of your work locally, uh, working with homeowners, working with the community to improve their financial wellness, right? Because as you teach classes, and I, I've obviously, we've, we've partnered together over the years. I've, I've done uh, guest speaking engagements um, a number of times at your groups. And I'll observe just the way your classes are run are not about just like uh, handing off information from on high to people, but it's really just letting them discover that information for themselves and sure. empower themselves. So it's, it's kind of cool to kind of see the intersection, even though it's two completely different <clears throat> realities, right? But it, it, the process, the big picture approach actually seems to have some similarities. Sure. It, it's kind of what I, I, I told my, um, my interviewer when I was you know, behind for the job. I don't have experience in this, but what I do have is the ability to make these connections, bring um, information to life. Really, I love, I love empowering folks. Um, and yeah, the connection is, is, um, is alive and it's definitely there. So um, yeah, thank you for, for seeing it. I really enjoy my classes and we have some great, great times in there. How crucial of a role did your own family's financial stability play in putting yourself in a position to do this mission-based work that you spoke of? Um, well, really the, the, the volunteerism spirit is really what that comes down to. Um, 
obviously, you know, we contribute time, effort, and, and, and some funds to our program. Um, but the amount of time and effort is really the, the, the cost, you know, for us. So it's all volunteer basis. We don't have any major, major funders. So there are so many financial obligations and resources we have to manage and, and make plans for. So that obviously um, really helped with all our budgeting, um, having understanding of budgets, setting goals, setting priorities, um, really allocation of funds. So you recently shared with me a recent conversation you had with your son and how his thoughts influenced a major purchase decision that you made. Oh, hey. can, can you share more about that? Yeah, that was interesting. So um, and on December 30th, yeah, December 30th, just coming home from work, I got into a car accident. Um, I love my car. Hybrid, paid off, served me so well, you know? Um, that was one of my first cars I got when I started my career, paid it off, great. So basically when I came down to making a new decision, I had to get a new car, right? I had some savings. Um, they were just going back and forth, back and forth with the insurance company. I knew they owed me money because it was 100% or 99% their driver's fault. So I knew there was some money coming to me there. So I really had, I had some money for a down payment. My credit was fine. It was really just now making a decision because I had no car payment, <laughs> right? I had no car payment. Um, keep in mind, this is just this January where I had a major change in my finances in September. <laughs> All right, so I was adapted to that too, right? You know, this is an emergency. Living on Long Island, can you not have a car? No, right? Um, so as I'm making my decision, um, I'm having my talk with my son and he knows me right so I was like, hey what kind of car do you think we should get or, or i was like i'm trying to make them decision what kind of car i should get and he's like i was like i and he sees me like going over it and a little stressed over it right i'm telling him i don't have a car payment i'm gonna have to have a new car payment so i'm explaining like the financial ramifications i'm sharing these financial decisions with him you know he knows what we're just going through we're we have our um, homeschooling expenses. We have our other life expenses. And he sees me making these financial decisions. Um, and he stops and says, Dad, you work hard. You know how to save. Just get what you want. Don't worry about what car. Don't worry about the money. Just get what you want to get. Get something that you know you'll be happy with. Because I was thinking about, should I get a high rate? Should I do this? You know, he knows I don't want a hybrid. He knows I wanted an SUV, something I can enjoy. That fits my lifestyle a bit better. Um, I'm a little adventurous in, in my lifestyle outside of work. Um, so he, he said, you know what, get what you want. And, and it was like a light bulb. And I said, you know what, thank you, son. And that kind of was one of those times where he just gave me the wake-up call and told me, you know what, Dad, I've seen you perform before. I know you have skills. You can save. You can do what you have to do. If you had a new payment, you, you can survive this. All right. And he said, and I guess his lesson was don't just settle. And I like that because if I had to have a payment for something I settled for, is that really valuable? <laughs> or would it be something that, you know, if I had a payment that I truly value and make that at least as set, set up, set a quality standard for that, um, then it's more palatable even just psychologically i was actually able to find the the greatest deal on the car the exact car that i wanted the best deal um for a payment that's even lower than my payment for my other car and i know it's and it's actually worth almost twice as much um i spent some time did some research i traveled to pennsylvania to purchase the car um it took my time to do it um searched the right deal out because i've taught these lessons so many times of how to properly <laughs> properly do a, a auto search. When I, when, I, when I purchased the car, I explained, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna actually set up for my own personal budget and expenses. I'm just gonna be setting up my bi-weekly payments towards my auto loan um, automatically on a bi-weekly schedule. Um, I showed them how I did this, how I set up my auto payments. You know, kids, they, always say, hey, can I have this instant verification? Um, and there's 
you as as a as a parent you hate always saying no or you can't always just say no or always wait no we don't have the money for that right so that's always that balance um which is which is super important obviously there is plenty of no's um but there's also plenty of um balance that has to be kind of applied um with lessons always, even when it's a yes, or even when it's a no, the lesson is just not say no with the lesson applied. And yes, with the lesson applied, I think is, is super important. All right, so Andre, I wanna thank you so much for, for sharing your story today, both in terms of your own journey, all the individuals uh, that you've impacted. I know that uh, earlier you expressed your, your gratitude for the influence uh, that Green Path and myself have had in your career, and I'd like to just echo the same. I've always learned so much from you, and I've enjoyed so much uh, partnering uh, with you and your organization over the years. And I know there's some challenges in the short term uh, with with the pandemic and navigating that, but uh, I know we'll all come out the stronger for it. I know there's a lot of people that are uh, definitely going to have some financial um, obstacles of their own to to overcome in the in the coming months. And uh, I have confidence that uh, they'll, they'll be in the right place uh, when they uh, get to learn from your wisdom. And again, thanks for joining us today. All right. Well, much appreciated. And you know what? Um, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Andre. I'm joined now by my co-hosts, Alexandra, and the newest member of our podcast team, Omari. He's actually contributed behind the scenes since we launched, including some of the music. Today, he'll step in front of the mic. Take it away, Omari. When he mentioned traveling abroad, I felt very happy to receive his story. Uh, Traveling abroad was an opportunity that I personally did not take advantage of. And after hearing Andre's narrative, I'm really appreciative of the extent to which that can really inform your worldview, even as it pertains to finance. Um, Specifically in Andre's case, this was an opportunity that he created in part on his own. Uh, By making this a goal, prioritizing it, and actively saving to fund the study abroad opportunity. Afterwards, prioritizing work and savings persistently during the summer to plan for extended stays as he has sort of built a second life there. Um, What I would want someone to take away from this story is maybe reinforcing the belief that even what may seem like far-reaching savings goals can be realistically within reach and dedicated. And that's really encouraging. Thanks, Omari. It really resonated with me when Andre described what he loves most about his role. I've also spent a significant portion of my career at GreenPath providing financial education in a group setting. It really energizes me when the individuals I work with have a growth moment like Andre described. Back when I was a financial counselor, I got to share in many of these growth moments too, but they were behind closed doors. In a group setting, everyone gets to benefit from each other's wisdom. In fact, this was the motivation behind launching this podcast, giving a public platform for these growth moments. And while the setting is virtual instead of in person, I always get a fuzzy feeling when I read what our listeners share in our surveys, reviews, or Facebook posts. Of course, while Andre and I chose careers that focus on facilitating financial education in formal group settings, there are still opportunities to benefit from the collective wisdom of your family, friends, or community. Andre gave a great example of this when he shared how his 11-year-old son was able to give him financial advice. It started with Andre's transparency about facing a difficult decision. He was open to listening to what his son had to say. Andre brought things full circle when he openly discussed how he saved money during his car purchase. How might you be more transparent about money within your social circle? It is my belief that each of us can be teachers, especially if you're willing to be a lifelong learner. Alex, what what part of Andre's story connected with you? I was drawn by what Andre said about his lack of credit dependency. I understood that he felt lucky to have never become dependent on credit cards um, at all in his entire life because of his experiences abroad and his other life's lessons had taught him uh, to pay for items with the money that he had in the moment. When I heard that, I was thinking how in America we 
are often socialized to use credit cards growing up. They, we hear things like they help us build credit so we can get things in the future. Um, we see them as being a part of our everyday transactions. We see other people using them. We use them ourselves. We see our parents using them. Yet we, we often don't hear growing up how we can easily become dependent on them. They are easy to use in an emergency, to buy something online, something we want or need in the moment, and so easy to swipe and then just deal with the consequences later. This can often get to a tipping point where we rely on the credit cards um, so much that it's a constant um, battle of I'll pay for this with the credit card now and I don't have to worry about it. I won't even think about paying it off. That's future me's problem. But I am dealing with the past me's problems of what I spent last month or last year. So what I would hope our listeners would take away from that portion of Andre's story is his mindset of not needing credit cards, of I'm a person who's not dependent on credit. I was never dependent on credit. Um, And for those of us who have been dependent on credit, um, maybe it's I'm a person who doesn't use credit cards at all anymore, or I'm a person who pays off my credit cards in full each week, or I'm a person who never carries a balance because I only pay for what I can afford. Um, I think the more that we learn to spend money um, based off of what we currently have in our hands or in our accounts, the easier it is then to also save on a monthly basis too because we don't have to worry about interest or paying for those past purchases. We can stay in the present, pay for what we need and want now, and have more money available to save for the future and for those future unexpected expenses with our own savings and not having to rely on credit. Thanks, Alex and Omari. We recently reached a milestone. For the first time, one of our episodes had over a thousand listeners. And on August 8th, we climbed to number seven in our category, U.S. Nonprofits in Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening and contributing to our success. Thanks again to Andre for sharing his story and for Hero, who created music that will play us out. A quick reminder that we'd love your feedback. Simply go to www.greenpath.com realstories and click on the orange Take the Survey button. You could also find the link in our show notes. As I alluded to earlier, I'd love to hear about your growth moments. Did this or another episode nudge you to try something different? Let us know in the survey. Until next time.